Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Transplant's Take on Sport. My name is Lewis Daniels and joining me today is kidney recipient and cricketer, hockey player, badminton player, golfer, Matt Coombs. We talk about Matt's sporting achievements, including beating Australia at cricket, as well as dealing with kidney failure as a teenager, recovering from multiple surgeries, living in more than one country, and long-distance marriage. Matt also bravely opens up about a topic he's only recently been able to talk about, and how important talking to friends can be for your mental health, so please stick around for what is a fascinating listen. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please make sure you press subscribe or follow on the app of your choice, so you don't miss an episode. And if you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, all the links will be in the show notes. Matt Coombs, welcome to Transpat's Take on Sport. Hi, Lewis. Nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Um, I think people find this useful. And there's many, many sports that you do. <laughs> uh, before we get started, just wanted to say that by the time you're listening to this, I will have had the Oxford AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine. Oh, nice. So after I've had that, when we when I next record one, I'll let you know how that goes on. Hopefully no side effects. Yeah. I know we know a few people who've had it themselves and they've been fine. So fingers crossed that continues. And uh, if you get offered it, please take it. Will do, yeah. No one's grown a second head or turned into an elephant, so that's all right. <laughs> 5G running through the veins. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> well, I could see that being useful. <laughs> uh, yeah, you never know. Yeah. So, Matt, we'll come on to um, we'll come on to your kidney stuff first. Yeah. Like me, you've had a kidney transplant. Yep. Uh, I've read your story on Share Your Wishes, which I searched for yesterday, and your kidney problems started quite early, didn't they? When did you first find out? Uh, it's been a kidney issues have been a part of my life since birth. Um a um d4 an underdeveloped excuse me urethra was found in quite an early scan when i was still developing in the womb so kidney problems have been there since i was born basically and i lost a kidney to because of reflux and early stages of cancer when i was very small and then my very quickly my other kidney began to fail when i was about 
13, 14 years old. And I spent four and a half years waiting for a transplant, which I had in 2005. Excellent. So the, the first one that was removed, did you have, I mean, you said you were young. Did you have much, you've got much recollection or did you have much knowledge at the time of that removal? None whatsoever. I was less than two when that first one got lost. Right. Um, I, I still bear the surgical scars, obviously, because that young, you're growing all the time. The surgical scars take longer to heal up. Techniques were less good as they are now. I'm not sure that's the right phrase. Um, and to be honest, there were some other complications that I'm still not fully aware of that meant that removing my kidney took four operations when normally it only takes one. So... I was in and out, in and out, in and out of hospital several times because I was also born with cleft lip and cleft palate. So I'd had my number of operations was into double figures before I turned five or six years old. Wow, that must have been hard. Yeah, it it, it has been a grind. I, I had my nineteenth operation in November twenty nineteen, which was having my tonsils out. That's a lot. I I've had one, which was the transplant itself. That was my first one. Yeah. Um. So. Hopefully no more. But yeah, fingers crossed. You're an expert on that front. <laughs> I, yeah, I try to be. <laughs> so what was the actual cause of the kidney failure when you were 13, 14? Um, I was diagnosed with chronic renal failure and associated metabolic bone disease. And a really, a really, really fun game to play is to say that after you've necked a point. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't really know what the cause of the remaining kidney to fail. I know that there was some minimal damage from when I lost my first kidney. Um, but what happened was I was at a boarding school here in Somerset at the time. And my parents were um, living out in Saudi Arabia. And a gastrointestinal infection went through the boarding school. And I think we were actually completely quarantined for about a week. And I never fully recovered from that. I was very underweight, no appetite, looked horrendous. And then um, I was playing football one day and got hit in the kidney because I was in goal. Sa actually saved a shot, hit my hand, hit the post, rebounded straight into my remaining kidney. And I've never felt pain like it. I went down like a sack of potatoes. Um, and in the three or four minutes it took me to get me from the school playing field up to the matron's office, the bruising was already black and purple and I was peeing blood. And the matron said, well, that's not right. And off I went to hospital. And I had to have probably three months worth of blood and urine tests, other things as well. And they said at one point they said it could be diabetes it could be another form of cancer it could be a form of kidney failure they rattled off four or five things and in the end the diagnosis was chronic renal failure chronic renal failure excuse me and um i was put on the witness for a transplant so it's all, all happened very quickly was it a particularly hard shot massive absolutely huge i was terrified sorry but um the the football shot was that hard uh it, it, yeah Sorry, I thought you. Yeah, I was just wondering what you meant. Now, yeah, the football shot that that felt pretty hard. Um, I don't remember it much now. I know it came from one of the older guys, um, and yeah, it felt like a bullet. So, I'd never heard that, but yeah, it's, it's called, that's very very quick. Suddenly, so you've gone from active at school playing football, yeah, and then suddenly, bang, shot down with. Um, a kidney failure? Yeah. So did you have to go on dialysis while you were waiting? I got very, very lucky with my transplant. I was never on dialysis. 
um, for which I'm truly grateful for. I was the same. I think it, it, it's supposed to be the gold standard, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think they say that uh, a transplanted kidney lasts a lot longer if you don't go on dialysis. But then with that, I got an absolutely perfect match from, from my dad as well. So I got lucky twice. We'll come on to that now that you transplant from your dad. Yeah. That was 2005. Yep. April 26, 2005. And how old were you at that point? 18. 18. So it's a lot to go through at a young age. How much did that affect you going through it so young? With school, college, whatever, wherever you were at the time? School was actually a major part of it because I, my parents actually, home was Saudi Arabia and had been for 11 years. And this diagnosis came through. My dad was really struggling living and working out in Saudi Arabia. Me being that unwell was the final um, nail in the coffin. So dad left his job out in Saudi, which meant I had to leave the boarding school in Somerset. So, um, and we already had the house here in Chard. Um, but sort of a whole massive uh, route for the entire family. Fortunately, my brother, who's older than me, he was actually leaving the boarding school. He'd done his GCSEs that year. So for him, it was no problem whatsoever. Well, I say that. I don't think it was very nice for him knowing that I was unwell. But um, he um, he started going to Yeovil College, which a lot of the same people that he was in his um, year as went to. So he still saw a lot of the same people. I had new school, new friends, new environment, illness. And at one point, uh, I wasn't coping with it at all. I was absolutely terrified of this state school I was going to in, in here in Chad because boarding school, yeah, it's a boarding school and you're miles away from your family. There was about 350 people in the entire school. There was that many people in my year group at the state school. Yeah, I did state school from uh, year seven to 11 and then moved to a private sixth form. And the, the difference in numbers is huge. Is oh, yeah. Huge. So the state school was from years, that was year seven to 11, and there was about 200 per year. So there'd be a thousand people in a school. Yeah. And then I went to sixth form, which was part of a school. Yeah. Um, And that was from, they were from nursery to the last year of sixth form. So they were three to 18. Yeah. And there was only 700 people in the school. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, at that age, and when you've been used to the boarding school, were you there all the way through your life? Uh, I was at boarding school from, I did three years of primary and three years of secondary. And then I did my GCSEs at the state school. Right. So yeah, it's quite a long time to get used to it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then only two years of the state school. And there was lots of little things with that. Um, when you go to a boarding school in one country and live in another, you essentially have two sets of friends. The friends you see on holiday and the friends you see at school. And when it's somewhere like Saudi Arabia, where there's a lot of military brats, a lot of military personnel, there's also a lot of changes because people get different contracts and they go to this, that, and the other part of the world. So that's quite, that, that changes every summer, sort of. You see new people every summer, new people, new experiences, which can be a good thing, but can also be a bad thing for the guys that are being constantly uprooted every two or three years. Um, for me, I didn't have that. Saudi Arabia was home for 11 years. All right. So you, you spend a lot of time there then? Yeah, um, all summer. Yeah, I, I loved Saudi Arabia. So was that like most of your school holidays we spent over there? Yeah, I would say probably most summers and most Christmases were out in Saudi, and then for the Easter we were here in Somerset in the house we got now in charge. All right, so it's well travelled then. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, on top of all of that, I also spent a little while living in Ecuador, which is where I met my wife. Wow, we'll, we'll we'll have a talk about that if you want, if you're happy to. Yeah. How did you end up? How did you um, end up over in Ecuador? 
Um, I was just trying to think now. Basically, I I got my first job after my transplant, which is a warehouse job um, for a company that was a distribution partner for Lacoste. Um, lost that due to mental health. Um, just couldn't cope with it because I, I struggled weirdly more after my transplant than I did before. Um, had a year unemployment and went to college and did two years at college. Decided that I'd go to university. But through college, I was like older by several years. I was in my 20s and these guys were 16, 17. So, excuse me, huge age difference there. And I thought I just wanted to try something completely different. Wanted a summer holiday elsewhere. Um, I was going to go on a backpacking trip around part of Eastern Europe. But a friend of mine said, it's been done. It's too touristy. Go to South America. And through that, I decided on a holiday in Ecuador. Had already met someone in Ecuador um, who is now my wife. Oh, wow. Such a yeah. nice story. Yeah. So I'm presuming now, well, in, in normal circumstances, mm. do you go over there a lot still? Yeah, um, it's a very tricky marriage, actually, because we've never got the visa sorted. So I'm here in the UK and Monica's over in Ecuador. Hi, honey. <laughs> and um, it it's really difficult with the pandemic, the situation in Ecuador. I'm not trying to dumb down what we've been through in the UK and one of the countries, but in Ecuador, it's so much harder because they're not getting a vaccine at the moment. They've got so many people not following the rules. It's a much poorer country. It's amazing, and, and when things are back to normal, I'd recommend it as a holiday to anyone, but it's just such a tricky situation. Monica and I have been apart for, I think, coming up two years in May, and we have no idea when we'll see each other again, so that's a huge thing, and the pandemic hasn't helped at all. Hopefully you can, you can see each other soon. Fingers crossed. So that their situation is a lot, is that you said it's a lot worse than... Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, there's been, I mean, we've had it here in the UK. They've had a lot of irresponsible people not following lockdown round, um, rules. Um, the president of Ecuador, to try and get away from it, just picked up himself, his family and security detail and swanned off to one of the Galapagos Islands. Right. Okay. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> yeah, um, basically did a Ronaldo there. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then to be fair, I'd do it too if I could. Yeah, I suppose that anything yeah. in that situation, anything you you could do. Yeah, we'll come we'll come back to your transplant. Um, your dad donated. Yeah, uh, was it an easy decision? An easy conversation? It's never an easy conversation, but was it straight away as soon as you needed a new one? Right, I'll do it. I'll be tested. Mum and dad. Um, I've got my mum, dad, two half brothers, and my brother. Um, mum and dad were just straight in there. I mean, my dad's my hero. He's also a Gulf War veteran. And he just went, yeah, my son needs a kidney. Here I am. My mum was right there next to him. No, pick me, pick me, pick me. I'm Spartacus. Um, <laughs> then my two half-brothers both were willing to be tested. And my brother, Josh, who is a, a full brother, he said he would be if needed. Um, mum is diabetic. So she wasn't allowed to be a living donor. So they just settled on dad. And thankfully, I got a very good kidney. It seems again the gold standard to go with the uh, preemptive live donation. I similar to me. My mum and dad both came forward straight away. Yeah. Uh, my uncle came forward and was tested. My sister was too young. Oh yeah. Uh, my mum eventually donated. Uh, and you, I mean, you waited longer than I did. Four and a half years. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I was from the start of testing to donating was about six months. 
So although a family member was going through the surgery for you to get a kidney, yeah. was it more comforting to know that you didn't have, or you, you definitely had one coming? Um, I, it was strange because there were days when I was really worried about what's going to happen to me. Am I going to be all right? And also four and a half years. Yeah, I mean, there are people who wait for a transplant for 20 years. Four and a half years felt like forever. And it does put a queue in the supermarket into perspective. Yeah. But um, at the same time, once it was confirmed that my dad would be my donor, that that's where the kidney would come from. We got the date for surgery we booked in, in the diary. And suddenly I started worrying about my dad more than me. You know, for me, the worst case scenario was that my dad die during the surgery and me get a healthy kidney. Mm -hmm. I wanted my dad to be okay. That's all I cared about. And I made it plain and clear to the nurses as often as possible. My dad is the priority. And to be fair, they did a cracking job looking after him. They're very good. with the. Um, we're looking after the donors. Yeah. You were saying that before the maybe the processes are different or that your first scar is very different to how it is now. Yeah. Was the donate was it still keyhole then? Uh no, I've got um a huge scar going I won't show you, but a massive scar on my left side. Um where I had my first kidney removed. Alright, because my um my transplant scar is big, I presume like yours, about six inches long. Yeah. My mum's donation scars is like they described it as like three stab wounds mm. and then uh, a small, a, a longer one lower down, but hidden uh, under your pants. Was that the same for your dad? No, dad's is very much in the same place as my kidney removal scar, but his has faded to, I won't say nothing because he is still visible, but it's much harder to see than mine. Right. Okay. So that was, yeah, that I think that was the other option, uh, keyhole or the, the direct removal. Yeah. I have a friend, um, I was always going to try and give her a shout out, so I'll do that now. Debbie Madison, my transplant buddy, um, met through a kidney transplant pen pal scheme and just became great friends through there. Her second kidney donation was from her mum, Audrey, and that was Keyhole. I think Audrey was home a day or two after the surgery. And like my dad was in intensive care for three or four days after, so it just shows how quick these things change. Yeah, my mum was similar. She was home in about, about three or four days. So it does show how far organ donation has come. Oh, yeah. So we'll come up with a sports podcast. We'll come on to, on, on to your sports. Which were the sports you were playing before you transplant? Um, my main sport has always been cricket. Um, uh, as a teenager, I was a late-developing, socially inept prat with a cricket obsession. And not much has changed. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, cricket is like absolute or my favorite sport in the world i will lose hours of every summer watching reading listening to thinking about cricket talking about cricket um thankfully most of the family enjoy it as well so i'm not a complete loner um <laughs> but um i somehow got into hockey which um also i actually prefer hockey to football um as a sport personally really enjoy playing it i haven't in several years because working jobs where I've had to work weekends and evenings because I can't play as often as I'd like to. Um, and another sport that I really enjoy playing purely for fitness is badminton. Um, I don't play that as often as I'd like to. And in the past couple of years, I've also gotten into golf. Oh, yeah. So, but I'm rubbish at golf. <laughs> yeah. we'll, um, we'll go through all of them uh, in the space of however long uh, yeah, no how long's left on this recording. Um, 
were you able to play right up until your transplant with that four and a half year wait? Yeah, I played in a, a, an end of season hockey tournament about two and a half weeks before my transplant. Wow. Um, uh, thankfully, by that point, I was in goal. Mm. Um, and uh, you feel bulletproof when you put that goalkeeping kit on, but there is still always that fear. And even because, as you know, the, the transplanted kidney is not put in the same place as a normal kidney. Um, but you're playing in goal. You've got all the pads on. You feel absolutely bulletproof. Uh, but I did also play a few seasons as a fullback or wingback, and I would run as much as I could. Um, more than anything, being able to compete in sport, I am quite a competitive soul. It was an escape. It was um, a way of getting away from it, life being so horrible. Um, being able to run around the foot, the hockey, the hockey pitch, the cricket pitch. I wasn't thinking about being unwell. I wasn't thinking about needing a transplant. I wasn't thinking about my dad donating me a kidney. I, w- I just had that to focus on. So, yes, it was important to keep me fit, but also a massive part of mental well-being. Yeah, it was, for me, it was a big physical and mental release. And you, as you said, you can just get away from whatever's going on. Yeah. Um, I think for me, the, the biggest impact that sport had on my life was I had my transplant in 2005. 2006, I played in my first transplant cricket tournament and we beat the Aussies and won the transplant Ashes. And I think that's probably, I was as happy that day as I was the day I got married. <laughs> right up there. So I'll just say now, sorry, Monica. <laughs> <laughs> We'll come up to the cricket now, then, as as you've gone on to that uh, so well. We'll come straight on to um, to the transplant cricket. Yeah. How did you find out about the team in the first place? There was a leaflet at the waiting room at the hospital at Bristol Southmead, uh, which Mum saw, and then through that, um, I um, got in touch with Alistair Hed- Hedwick, who bless is no longer with us, and he invited me to a net session. And for some silly reason, the result of that net session was that I was opening bowling. <laughs> Good start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Straight in the team. Uh, how did it feel when you uh, you made your debut for the team? You got your cap for the first time. <laughs> um, I was over the moon. I was absolutely ecstatic. I, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I will admit I did cry a little bit. It's one of the, yeah, it must be, I'm not, I haven't played yet, but it must be a, a special feeling because in a, I said you love cricket so much and you still do now. Yeah, it must be like in bizarre circumstances realizing a childhood dream. It was. I mean, anybody who will remember me as a kid will know that my childhood dream was to win the Ashes, and I've done it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It it and. It doesn't even sound silly. Okay, I've never played at Lords, never played at the Oval, never played at Melbourne. I could rattle off all the te- great, great Test cricket venues, but I've won the Ashes. Darren Goff never did that, and I did. Have <laughs> <laughs> that Goff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was my favorite. He was my favorite cricketer to watch growing up, and I've never met the guy. But I, I, the, the fact that I've done something in cricket that he never did. That does bring a smile to my face even now. Yeah, plenty of people haven't done it. Yeah. You've got hockey and cricket. Yeah. Uh, has playing hockey helped you play more expansive shots than you said you're a bowler? When you're batting, yeah. 
has it helped you with the more expansive shots? I know that video on I think it's on YouTube, and you sometimes see it in the rain delays on uh, Sky Sports when you're watching watching cricket. Josh Butler's T20 video yeah. where he's coming, he's all wrist, a lot of wrist, and I think he played hockey, didn't he? And he, yeah. rather than swinging through fully, he can flick his wrist and it goes miles. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's not just hockey that um, helped me as a batsman. What would help me as a batsman if I actually watched the ball? Um, I usually come in at 10 where I'm vastly overplayed. <laughs> and um, the, the only way that hockey has helped my cricket is in terms of fitness. I'm a rubbish batsman. What sort of batsman are you? Um, I sometimes hold the right end of the bat. <laughs> another, another clear the front leg swing through absolutely yeah um i the the only shots that i can play properly and even though this is a very rare occasion i've got a half decent cover drive and a half decent pull shot and that's it <laughs> i suppose if it is coming in short yeah you're sorted either way protecting your kidney and i'm only five foot six as well so most things come up to waist height anyway <laughs> thinking of protecting your kidney with those shots yeah. Do you actually wear any extra protection when you're batting or even fielding? Uh, yes, I um, I bought um, two thigh pads um, and then sort of put them together um, so that they'll fold quite nicely um, using uh, some glue. And that works really, really nicely. I wear that for hockey and cricket. All right. I was going to ask about the hockey. Is that when you're not playing goal? I wear it all the time. Oh, so you've got a double under your, your big keeping suit. I, I got hit once in the kidney um, about, yeah, it was my first season back from my transplant. And I got hit. And you know, the weird thing about transplants is that a, an organ transplant isn't connected to the nervous system. So you don't feel any pain. But I got hit there and just knew I was in trouble. And I think it took nearly four days for me to stop peeing blood. Wow. Which is scary itself uh and that was the minute i decided okay regardless of what i'm doing if i'm playing hockey or cricket that pad gets worn do you wear it when you're fielding as well yeah absolutely fielding batting bowling a lot is it quite mo- is it allowed to be mobile flexible so yeah i mean the two thigh pads that i bought are very very thin they're probably less than five mil thick but um i put it together kind of like in a suit of armor so it's sort of I mean, you won't see this on the podcast obviously so one over the top of the other slightly what's with articulated so it does bend and flex really really nicely um and, and that does offer a fair bit of protection and the great thing about it is it, it doesn't need a strap or anything like that it just tucks in nicely on my waistband all oh, right so it looks, yeah. i'm surprised it stays in place does it no no sort of elastic band or uh, no undershirt no i mean I, I it's just um four or five layers of very thin foam with a um a non-slip matting on the back. And then that, plus being tucked into my waistband, holds it in place perfectly well. That's interesting. I've never I've never even thought of that. I know that some people use thigh pads as kidney protection, but I've never thought of it just staying there. I think I've said before on this, I use a chest guard. Oh, yeah. And it's the thin one. Yeah. And just wrap that wrap that round. Mm. And speaking of cricket gear, um, I know they don't, I don't think they actually do chest guards. They do the thigh guards. Uh, if anyone would like any uh, premium handmade cricket equipment, then if you go to neoncricket.co.uk, uh, they've kindly sponsored me for the 2021 season as a coaching ambassador. So if you go to their website, uh, add anything to your basket. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. And then use the code LewisD25. I'll also put that in the show notes and it'll be uh, probably on my Twitter and Instagram already. Um, you get yourself 25% off, which will save you a nice amount on kit for the next season. Uh, I'm going back to the hockey again. Sorry to come back onto that one more time. Um, it was played at, played at my sixth form. I've never really got involved or was, was any good at it. Um, is it similar sort of tactics to football? No, absolutely not. Because oh. um, in hockey, the goalkeeper is padded up like a Terminator, <laughs> um, which you don't have in football. The ball is a lot smaller, a lot harder. Obviously, everyone's carrying a stick, which makes it far more interesting. And the, the two biggest differences are there's no offside and you can only shoot and score from inside the D. Right. Um, so there's no big long crosses coming in over the top or anything like that. It's very much on the ground, much faster, very, very tricky, lots of stick work. Um, and um, y- when you, you're waiting for a shot to come through, you're very aware that that defender that's only just out of your eye line might at any moment come battling across with their stick on the floor to try and deflect it. As soon as it's going from low left to high right, you're like, oh, thanks very much. <laughs> The, the, like the formations that you play, is that any similar to, to football? Formations can be similar. Um, for a long time, um, when I played hockey, um, 
uh, my first two or three seasons in the men's third team, we played a basic 4-4-2. But he always read it from the front, not the back. So he'd say 2-4-4, and it always confused me. It always threw me a little bit. Does everyone do that? I don't know. That was just my first hockey captain, a chap called Roger Swan. It's interesting. It confused me from playing football in the past. Yeah. You've mentioned badminton already, so we'll, we'll yeah. go over there next. Uh, is that something you found you were good at at school? Because you do play it a lot going through school, or I found anyway. I played badminton out in Saudi Arabia because it was one of only a couple of sports that was played indoors with air conditioning. Of course. <laughs> so, I mean, I, Saudi Arabia was outdoors, football, cricket, swimming, tennis, golf. I, I think I've tried over 20 sports, most of them when I was living out in Saudi. But badminton, squash and one or two others were played indoors in air conditioning. That was why I wanted to try it. Makes sense. Don't remember trying it at all at the boarding school I was at. We had it at the comp that I went to, Holyrood, um, and I quite enjoyed it there, but it was only a part of PE. So I didn't really play it again after school until I went to college, and we had a guy there who his two favourite sports were badminton and cricket. And I suddenly just found myself really enjoying playing badminton. And I... I, it's one thing that I intend to do more of after lockdown. I want to try and badminton as often, try and play badminton as often as possible. Are you playing competitively or just socially? Just social thing. You know, I, I, it's one sport that I would only want to try socially because it, it's for fitness. Yeah, there is yeah, there's a lot of running, isn't there? Oh yeah, a lot of side to side movement as well, and being short, I'm doing a lot of back and forth, which helps a lot. But I'm actually quite ambidextrous. I can use the racket left or right handed, which throws some people. <laughs> yeah. So you said socially, are you playing uh, singles, doubles? Mostly doubles. More, yeah, I suppose it's more social with uh, four you playing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my first gold medal in transplant sport was uh, badminton doubles with my mate Paul Filer in Bath 2010. Do you play any other sports at the transplant games? Uh, I have only... Oh, God... I tried squash, hurt my ankle and withdrew after the first round. I got knocked out in the first round after hurting my ankle. Um, won the gold medal in badminton. Tried doing the 400 metres on a duff ankle and only got two thirds of the way round. Had to get cut off for an x-ray. Um, and then in Sheffield a few years later, I won my second gold medal, which was in team volleyball but not representing Bristol, just a group of people that want to try volleyball. Um, we had two serious volleyball players, a chap called Dino, who's mad for any transplant sport, myself and Claire from Team Bristol, and one other bloke whose name I've forgotten. And somehow we won. Oh, very good. Yeah. So you just thrown together yeah. uh, and then mm. won it. Absolutely, yeah. I don't know. I, I couldn't give you a, a volleyball tactic if I tried. But again, it's a sport that I had to go out, enjoyed, and would try again if I had the opportunity. Well, you're managed by Simon Cowell. He loves throwing throwing people <laughs> together and then winning things with them. No, um, thankfully he didn't turn up. <laughs> <laughs> so have you, are they the two transport games you've been to? Yeah, I've only been to two. Have you got any plans to do it again or even uh, push for qualifying for the World Games? Yes, absolutely, to both. Um, the, the, the main one is I want to try and play more cricket, particularly more transplant cricket. Um, and the great thing about the transplant team is how much it's grown since I played in 2006. 
Um, we've probably got double the number of players as we did then. Unfortunately, a lot of them from Yorkshire, but, you know, we have to let them out occasionally. <laughs> One here. <laughs> yeah. So, have you not played since then? Um, I've not played transplant cricket since... When was the Sheffield transplant games? Because I played in the North versus South match that year. I have no idea. I've, I only really know since 2019. Uh, um, I'll check my medal very quickly. Just give us two seconds. All right. 2013. So, yeah, so... Yeah. I you, coming up eight years ago. Yeah, because um, I played in the North versus South match that year, um, transplant cricket. Um, the South rather tragically, heartbreakingly lost, uh, but I came away with the best bowling medal. So... Mm. Every cloud. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember quite distinctly that Dave Parker um, had a sudden moment of athleticism and took a really, really good catch and got the champagne moment. <laughs> I think Dave's on the list to come on here, so yeah, listeners might hear from him soon. Uh, let's let's go on to uh, let's have a bit of golf. That's you, another sport you do. Yeah. Did that lead on from the other sports that required hand-eye coordination? Yeah, um, I tried golf for a little while in Saudi Arabia, um, and I just sort of knew that I would pick up a set of clubs again one day, um, just because I really enjoyed it. But what happened was a mate of mine for my birthday a couple of years back, um, I had nothing on. Uh, I'd had a bit of a mental health battle. Um, I really struggled for a little while. Wasn't really enjoying work. Wasn't really enjoying life. Marital problems getting a bit on top of me. And Stuart just said, right, we're going to go play around the golf. And the local club has got an 18-hole proper course and a little nine-hole pitch and putt. And he just dragged me up there. I bowled a couple of clubs. And I thought, I'm actually really enjoying this. Went out and bought a bag of clubs from a local charity shop and just got into it from there. Did you take to it quickly? Uh, in terms of enjoying it, yes. In terms of ability, no. It does seem like one of those sports that is hard to get good at, but very rewarding once you do become good at it. Absolutely. I, for me, I would like to try and get my handicap down below 15 one day. At the moment, with everything that's gone on, uh, it's more about getting out fresh air, a chat with my mates. Because one of my favourite things about it, it's not just that I play golf. I pick up my mate. I drive because he's got a little three-door hatch and I've got a nice big Mondeo. So I pick him up from his place. All the kit goes in the back of my car. We go off to whatever course, round the golf, lunch afterwards, then maybe watch the football, bit of banter, and then in the evening out for a game of snooker. Yeah, it's very social. Have, have you managed to get many rounds in this year? Uh, no. This I year. Yeah. Um, my first proper year playing golf, I played probably 50 or 60 rounds of golf. Um, last year, probably less than 20. Yeah, so I mean, it's understandable with the, the circumstances and us shielding for yeah. quite a lot of the year, to be fair. Yeah. I mean, I'm a bit of a wuss, actually. I don't carry my clubs. I've got an electric golf trolley. And my parents <laughs> bought me winter wheels for my trolley uh, for Christmas. Yeah, they're not going to get used anytime. <laughs> I feel really bad for them. I'm sorry. But, it, you know, it, it's just one of those things where I was thinking, oh, please don't let there be lockdown. If there is a lockdown, please keep the courses open. And nope. Is that one of those, the, the trolleys, one of those um, little remote control ones? No, mine, they're quite expensive. Mine was about 40 quid off eBay, secondhand. I've only seen the remote control um, ones on Taskmaster most recently. Um, 
they were uh, I don't know if you've seen it or not or if anyone has they were racing them round um round an assault course oh yeah and trying to not get hit by I think um remote control chickens that could be an interesting watch <laughs> how do you come up with something as daft as that Alex Horn is a bit of a genius with it um a, a guy called um yeah um what's his name Alex Horn's mates with another comedian and Alex and this other bloke do a YouTube channel called Bad Golf and the other bloke appeared on Rick Shields' YouTube channel. John Robbins' podcast, very good. Yeah. Yeah. John, I really enjoyed that episode, actually. I haven't seen the golf stuff, but um, podcast on Five Live, I listen to pretty much every week. I have to listen to that. Um, I may as well shout it out. don't know if anyone will pick up on it. Uh, Ellis James and John Robbins, BBC Radio Five Live. That's one person that listen. Something you couldn't do on the BBC. Um, <laughs> promote another podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> You've got well, we've got plenty more to talk about. You're a, quite a regular gym user, aren't you? Yeah, um, I try and fit a minimum of four a week when they're shut. Um, I'm I work for a company called Fusion Lifestyle. And I'm a member of a more local gym here in Charcoal's Phoenix Fitness. I use both of them for online classes. Um, I generally don't work out where I work just because I really struggle to focus on what I'm doing in the workout. So that's why I'm a member of one gym and work at another. Um, but both terrific companies, both do a lot for the customers and for the staff. Really enjoy using both and really enjoy the online stuff as well. So what would you normally do in the gym? What sort of activities, routines? Um, I do sort of between 20 to 30 minutes cardio, which is my least favorite part of the workout. Uh, I then go on to weights and um, the weights are, I try and sort of vary it a little bit. I've got uh, chest and biceps, shoulders and triceps, le- um, leg um, day f- both focusing on quads, leg day focusing on hamstrings, um, back and shoulder day as well. Try and vary it around as much as possible. And one workout that I'll do one out of every five or six will be a pure focus on cardio and flexibility. So it just keeps it fresh, keeps it interesting. Have you been able to go or well adapt, uh, probably the better word, with um, the situation we're in? Have you been able to adapt at home and keep keep working with home workouts? Yeah, um, the the workouts that I use, um, Phoenix Fitness have got loads on their fit on their um, class Facebook page. Uh, I borrowed some kit from them, and also borrowed some kit from where I work and do some of their online stuff as well, um, and. It's really good just to keep working out at home. The spare bedrooms where I work out is where I keep all my equipment. Um, my mum is fed up with my smelly trainers, though, so they might need to get the place soon. <laughs> have, have you able to? Have you been going to the gym more since you transplant them before? Definitely, definitely. Um, That's something I was a bit cautious about. I've not been yet, um, purely because of, I think we went into lockdown about eight months after my transplant. But I'm very cautious about. I'm going to put it in this way, lifting heavy things regularly. Yeah. Um, so I've just got resistance bands yeah. and uh, press-up bars and do more yeah. functional body weight things and trying to run a bit more. Well, I am I will say this. I'm not a qualified PT. Uh, I get my advice from Simon at Phoenix Fitness, from my colleagues Katie and Sam, and from my transplant buddy, Debbie. Those guys were brilliant for me. And the best advice I could pass on from them is find what works for you 
and use it. You know, mm. some people like me, we like lifting heavy things. Some people aren't comfortable doing it for whatever reason. They'll do more functional stuff, more hip work, and that's absolutely fine. Yeah, I think I think you're right there with um, yeah, yeah, whatever works for you. Yeah, there's. I mean, again, I'm not a qualified PT anyway. Yeah. Um, is it really a right way to do it? Right and wrong way. The right way to do it is to find the safe way that works for you. Yeah, safe. Yeah, safety obviously is. Yeah, is keep big. it you safe. Really and if it up. works for you, stick to it. Get as much advice as you want to get, but if you find something that works for you, stick to it and work with it. That's good advice. And a few more things before we go, before we wrap this up. Yep. Uh, would you say you've got a great decision? I mean, I'm going to guess what the answer is to this anyway, um, but we'll go with it. Have you got a greatest achievement or proudest moment in sport since your transplant? <laughs> yeah, that uh, in 2006 winning that Ashes series was, oh, I was over the moon that day. Of course, I, I thought it would be that. Has yeah. anything come close? Have you got any other honourable mentions? <sighs> Not an honourable mention. Um, Bath 2010 is very important to me because emotional this. Um, May 17th of that year, I lost my son. Wow stillborn baby boy called Jacob and a lot of people don't know that so even some family don't know it so they're in for a bit of a shock when I say that and I apologize it's a massive thing to open up and talk about and um um so basically I wasn't going to go to Bath and Paul and a few other guys from the Bristol transplant team essentially got me by the neck and dragged me up there and in terms of recovering from my transplant that Ashes series was a big thing for me, not just in terms of fulfilling a childhood dream, but also I knew that the only way was up from there. So to then have something similar, winning a gold medal, having lost Jacob, was, again, huge. And a big part of my... I wasn't really recovering at the time. I was still very much stuck in that right. I've only started coming out of it in the past three or four years, which is why I've been a bit distant with certain people. And um, it was, excuse me. Um, yeah, that was a massive thing just to realise that I did have what it took to carry on with life, despite what happened to my little boy. It takes a lot to open up about that. So yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for doing it. Um, it that would be horrible. Yeah, um, the the biggest part of that was his kidneys never fully developed. So yes. guilt, unfortunately, is a massive part of my day to day life. Yeah, I, mean, I think yeah. again, I've, I've not been not been through it, but I wouldn't wish it on mate. It's I think it's probably an understandable yeah feeling because of your mm. kidney problem. Yeah, but I don't. I think. Maybe not beating yourself up about it, if you can. I try not to, but yeah. I, I'm i going to say this for anyone that's got a mental health battle of any kind. If you have days where getting out of bed is the hardest thing to do, then that in itself is a great achievement. So just keep going with what you're doing because anyone, anyone with a mental health battle has a hard day. Uh, they come and go. There's nothing you can do about it. You've, you can't just... Pull your boot, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and carry on. You have to roll with the punches, and you have to turn to other people for support. I have nights where I'm missing my wife, thinking about my son, thinking about the 19 operations I've had. 
I struggle to shave some days because I've got two scars on my top lip and some days that's all I see in the mirror. And sometimes I do weep into my pillow before I go to bed. It's a perfectly normal, healthy thing to do. I don't give a damn if you're male, female, 20 operations or no operations or whatever else. If you need a night where you cry into your pillow before you go to sleep, then go ahead and do it. It's perfectly normal. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Talking is important and yeah, whatever gets you through the day. Yeah, I mean, don't bottle things up, which is my big thing. You know, I mean, my, my mate Paul, who was my badminton doubles party and partner and the guy that dragged me up to Bath, um, I didn't get the help I needed with the loss of Jacob for a long time because I had um, a grief therapy session booked one night and pure coincidence, Paul's wife had an issue because she was pregnant and I binned off everything. I went straight up to Bristol to sit with my mate whilst his mother wife was in the hospital. And from that, a fear of facing my mental health built and built and built and built and built to the point where it became like trying to knock down a a skyscraper with a pencil. It just became an impossible thing to face. Thankfully, in the past couple of years, I've been able to do it. And it is nothing to do with me at all. It's to my mates, um, Stuart, Debbie Smith, Debbie Madison, Matt Webwood, Lynn Webwood, um, Paul and Karina Feiler. I could go on and on right down the list. Um, I don't think I mentioned Louise. She's been brilliant in the past couple of years. Just everyone. They've pushed me so hard to get better, and I'm so grateful for them all. It is important to have good friends around you who oh, God, understand yeah. you and what you're going through. Yeah. Uh, one one more thing before we go, and it, it fits with the advice. Um, what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone facing a transplant? There is no one piece of advice. It's don't bottle things up. You know, be find people to talk to and talk to them. Um, and that, that that is probably the most important piece of advice. But with that, there are so many other bits. Um, follow the doctor's advice as much as you can. Um, be strong, be with your medication, be strict with your medication. And another big one that's really, really worked for me is make sure that you're fully aware of what's going on. Because when I was a young, young to mid-age teenager, so 14, 15, 16, I was in appointments with my parents and the doctors would talk to my parents, kind of leaving me aside. And suddenly I got transferred to the adults unit in Southmead at the age of 17. They did it a bit early because they knew it would be not long after my 18th birthday that I had my transplant. So they got me settled in there a bit quick. And it was literally one appointment at the Bristol Royal Infirmary with the doctors talking mainly to my parents, not ignoring me, excuse me, but I was a little bit of a, I was a little bit on the side. Suddenly, I was the person they were talking to and my parents were a little bit on the side. And that change happened so quickly. They do things differently now at Bristol, thankfully. But... Um, make sure you're fully aware of what's going on. So regardless of what age you are, ask the questions you want to ask. Write stuff down if you want to. You know, get the notes and the information that you want. I mean, there is stuff online um, available that I could only have dreamt of when I was a teenager. So that's a brilliant thing as well. And the last thing, as I said, I've had 19 operations. This goes out to anyone that needs surgery. And I know it's difficult with lockdown, but bear with me. The healthier you are before your operation the quicker and easier the recovery. Yeah, I, I know there's a lot of advice in there, but I can't just give one piece of advice to someone that's unwell. There's just too much. 
I think you're right. There, yeah, there's not really one one bit or or one way around it. Yeah, there are so many different ways it can go. Yeah, and so there is. There's a lot to think about. Yeah, yeah, it's with any operation. Mm, yeah, and one thing that it took me a long time to realize was that scars aren't a problem. You know, as I've got the two on my top lip, um, I've got one just by my left eye from a cricket ball, one on my chin from a hockey stick, surgical scars all over me, abdominal area, one on my shin from the operation, little marks and cuts for on my hands and arms from falling over on concrete pitches in Saudi Arabia, scars on the back of my head from falling over and hitting things. Um, scars don't matter. Every scar has a story. Yeah. And hopefully a good one. Yeah, we hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there we go. Matt, thank you so much for coming up. Yeah. Um, it takes a lot to open up, as you have done, which I, I think people will find really useful. It'll resonate with a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, if you did enjoy the podcast and you are enjoying it all the way through so far, please tell your friends about it. We're trying to grow and build something here, build a real community. If you didn't enjoy it, tell them you did. Um, we really appreciate the support and the the people listening and the feedback. Um. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it would mean a lot to me if you could rate it five stars on the show page on there. You just click on the podcast, uh, see all episodes, scroll down to the bottom, eventually it'll load up. There's some stars. Click the fifth one. Uh, that'll help more people see it. Um, and if you want to follow on social media, you can do as well. Uh, that's me, all the podcast. The podcast is uh, Facebook at Transplants Take On Sport Pod, Instagram at Transplants Take On Sport Pod. And Twitter is at TTOS pod. There was a character limit there. So <laughs> it couldn't all be the same. Uh, Matt, thanks again for coming on. It's been a real pleasure to chat to you. Thank you Lewis. I've been Lewis Daniels, and you've been listening to Transmat's Take on Sport. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.